the Professionally Speaking Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Professionally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan J. Warner, Director and Executive Coach at Professional Presentation Services. And with me today is Brian Ardinger. Brian is the Director of Innovation at Nelnet. He's also the founder and podcast host of Inside Outside. And he's the best-selling author of the book, Accelerated, The Guide to Innovating at Speed of Change. Brian, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, Ryan. Thanks for having me. This is going to be fun. Yeah, of course. It's always a good time. And we're always excited to have folks like you on who wear many hats and do many different things. So on that note, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and, and what you do every day? Yeah, so the day-to-day is always something new. So my day job is Director of Innovation at Nelnet. I wear a couple different hats there. One is uh, corporate venture investing. So I invest in startups on a regular basis. Um, the other half of the hat there is working with our internal companies to help them move and think and, and act more like startups. Uh, so it's all about the building of the culture of innovation within our uh, our conglomerate of companies that we have. So that's what the the day-to-day can take me in a lot of different directions, whether it's you know working out in the outside, uh, working with startups. Um, or inside helping our internal teams um, kind of create and, and launch new products. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and tell us about a little bit about your your book. I'm really interested to hear about yeah. the book. So the book's called Accelerated, and and it really came about. I started writing uh, the book before the pandemic. Um, I got into this innovation space uh, about a decade ago when I started the first startup accelerator program here in Nebraska and started getting in detail, helping early stage companies kind of get off the ground and move faster. And through that particular process, trying to understand how do you take a, a you know a nascent idea and get traction for it and eventually create a company and a business and you know exit and all that other fun stuff, uh, and helping companies do that, I kept getting asked by corporations uh, the same question, like how are companies moving so fast and why are we being disrupted? And uh, so I did a lot of uh, coaching and consulting in the corporate innovation space. And, you know, this intersection between the ties and the t-shirts, the, the, the tucked and the untucked, the startups and the corporates um, got me thinking about writing a book that would kind of chronicle that early stage journey of any idea, whether it's inside a startup or inside a corporate. And what are the things you need to do to think about launching your idea and, and getting traction for it? That's incredible. And so you've took that, that recipe, that formula, so to speak, and you've packaged it into the book. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So it starts out obviously talking about why we need to be innovative. Um, obviously, there's a lot of things that are disrupting the world right now, whether it's technology or access to markets or access to capital. Uh, all these things are colliding at once, uh, which is making it much more a requirement for existing businesses as well as individuals to think and act and move more like an entrepreneur, whether it's you know being more optimistic and curiosity and and, and focused on being resilient and resourceful. Uh, all, all of those are the skill sets you need because of the dramatic changes that everybody's going to go through. And, you know, I started writing the book right before COVID and I've been talking about disruption, but I think after COVID hit, everybody kind of understood what that really means. Right? And it does affect literally everybody on the planet. And so how do we build that muscle of innovation into everybody? Yeah, that's that's a great topic, and I'm not sure if this still rings true, but when you were speaking, a thought sprang to mind. I remember years ago, I don't know if it was a, a school of thought or let's call it, I guess, a concept that 
older, more well-established companies, they would grow by absorbing smaller companies mm -hmm. and the smaller startup companies, they would be forced to innovate and be more flexible, more maneuverable in order to compete. Is that true at all? Is there any truth to that? And, and have we seen that level off at all or what? What's yeah. Your... So, I mean, the research shows that your ability to, to kind of maintain your existing business model over and over and over again for years and years as you used to in the past uh, is shrinking. You know, it used to be, I think you could be on the S&P 500 for, you know, 50 years. Uh, and now that has shrunk down to about 14. And so your ability to kind of do the same thing and optimize the same business model over and over again is changing so dramatically, which is allowing um, you know new incumbents to disrupt and change things. It's also because of technology in that it's quite frankly, you know, 20 years ago, uh, you didn't have a cell phone in your pocket that was $150,000 worth of equipment, um, you know, that would have cost you that much 30 years ago. Uh, you didn't have access to all the world's knowledge in your pocket. Uh, and and quite frankly, all of this now is converging that makes it much easier for folks to um, spin up, try and test new ideas, which leads to more innovation, which leads to more potential disruption. And your ability to kind of maintain that pace um, is going to speed up. That makes sense. Like you said, you have to to innovate it and there's more competition. So there's more 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 <laughs> pressing matters to to attend to. So I guess you've seen everything then from, like you said, the tucked and the untucked, you've seen both worlds and, and what can you yeah. tell us are some of the biggest differences between the two? So obviously I think there's obviously there's huge differences between you know, like a corporate and a startup and in a corporate environment, you know, by the time it's got to a corporate environment, um, somebody has figured out what that business model is, that your job is to optimize and execute on it and to grow it. And, and to, you know, you figured out who your customers are, you know, for the most part, you know, what products you're building, all those kind of things. Um, so it's, it's all about execution and optimization at the startup realm. You, a lot of that is unknown. You know, you don't, you have maybe some guesses, but you don't necessarily know who your customers are, um, what you're going to be building for them, all the things that go into, you know, getting an idea and, and getting it off the ground from scratch. And so this intersection between, you know, how, when you go from exploration to, um, and through exper experimentation all the way into this this uh, uh, execution mode. And that's where the kind of the, the line is between startups and corporates. It kind of when you cross over to, we know what, uh, for the most part, what we're building and, and how to scale that, that's when it comes more of a corporate environment. But having said that, even in a corporate environment, you're always spinning up new ideas. And so a lot of the, what I wrote about in the book is it doesn't matter if you're you know starting up a brand new idea outside a company as a brand new startup or starting up something within a, a big company, the steps you go through to both first explore ideas, then engage with those ideas and see if you're on the right path, and then finally experiment with those ideas and take action to see if you can create value, that's very similar. And so, you know, my role as a coach or consultant or uh, to new um, companies or, or new things within our organization is really how do we build that muscle so that allows us to accelerate that process of, of taking an idea, iterating, figuring out if it, is it something we should be spending time, money, and resources on. And if it is, let's double down and, and move it forward. And and if it's not, let's pick another idea off the shelf and go from there. Yeah, that's that's really excellent. And I love how I love when these things come together. Like something for you, if my understanding, if I'm hearing you right, like like you kind of found this formula, this process early on and then others wanted to replicate it and, and came to you and said, how do we, how do we do get the same results? Is that right? Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's impressive. That's that's really cool how that happens. So tell us, because you've seen, a, like I said, a lot of different worlds. A lot you've been in a lot of different boardrooms and meetings. I suspect. What are the differences in in communication styles between, say, startups versus established corporations? And that's a great question. And, you know, I think a lot of, I thought of, I think a lot of it has to do with even definitional. Uh, like, if you think about the word innovation, um, it's it's such a loaded term. Like, no one really knows what it is, or people have different you know definitions in their mind and so a lot of times when I, whoever i'm talking to I, I try to level set of you know let's let's define what innovation is because i think immediately a lot of people jump to i've got to come up with the next flying car or i've got to come up with you know the next twitter and while that is transformational innovation and, that, and that's what that that is you know obviously value creation uh way to create value through innovation it's innovation is not just that you know innovation can be finding a problem or seeing some opportunity in the marketplace and just taking that idea and creating value from it. Um, that's an innovation. You know, my, my definition of innovation is, you know, taking an idea and creating value from that idea. Uh, and you have to take action on that idea to actually make it happen. You know, the ideas themselves don't uh, or aren't inherently valuable. Mm -hmm. So you have to take action on the idea then to create that value. But anybody can do that. You know, a frontline person um, who sees a problem and says, hey, if we just change this process or, or, uh, upgrade this thing um, that'll save us time, money, energy. Well, that's an innovation that you could then extract value from. And so I think first having the conversation of what does definition of innovation is and, and making sure that everybody's on board and giving permission to anybody in the organization to say, I'm an innovator. I can, I can do this because I can find problems and I can solve problems. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that opens up and frees the, the conversation up and gives you an opportunity to actually have bigger wins down the line. It sounds like you're almost empowering team members to take chances and take risks and, and try things to innovate. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's a great point with the risk because a lot of times, especially in a corporation, we don't like failure. The, the idea of failing is, is not really in most uh, DNAs of, of most corporations. And rightly so, you know, again, they're used to working on something that they know works. And if you execute and make it better, it'll work better. Yeah. Um, and if you fail at that, that's, that's a bad thing. Or a startup, if they fail, for the most part, you know, they don't have legacy brand, they don't have legacy customers, they don't have a lot of legacy. So if, if they fall and trip their uh, toe, it's it's not it's not as bad as as when a corporation does it. But having said that, you can't innovate without making mistakes. You know, mm -hmm. you, there's nobody that's going to come up with a per brand new idea from scratch that's 100% perfect, 100% baked, and 100% going to work and execute the way you want it. So it's all about like how do you de-risk that idea. And allow it enough um, kind of air around it uh, so that you can move it forward mm -hmm. and not double down when you're not, when you shouldn't be doubling down. Like when you don't see any evidence that anybody wants this thing, well, let's not keep pouring money and time into it just because it's part of the corporate agenda. Let's shelve it or, or, or kill it and then pick something else up that is showing evidence that the customers want it or that the problem can be solved by our team, et cetera. Have you read the book Small Giant, something like that? With um, uh, yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Bo Birmingham, I think, and and he wrote about that about companies that eventually at some point you have to realize where your highest rate of return is on what type of what you're doing, and then kind of scale back the other, trim the fat because you know, you can't just be all things to all people all the time, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But with, when it comes to innovation, it's an interesting topic in itself because it's not key performance indicators and things of that nature you can't really quantify, okay, for every 12 hours of meetings, we'll come up with a great idea. It's right. almost like you have to create a culture and, and let them 
kind of come up yeah. with it organically on their own. Well, and, and how you measure innovation is different than how you measure something that you know, again, if you have a system or um, or a process that you know uh, that's working, you can obviously measure that and you can put metrics against that. You can say, you know, it's taking us X number of dollars or widgets to do this. And this mm -hmm. is what the return is. If we put something into the system, out comes this result. In innovation, you have to measure some things differently because you don't know at the very beginning. It's about that exploration. It's about trying to figure out what's working and what systems can we put in place to actually then scale and grow. And so at the earliest stages, what you're looking at is it can be some you know completely different metrics that you would never look at an existing product, but it could be something simple at the very earliest stages about like how many customers have we talked to? Um, what kind of feedback are we getting that we're on the right path? Um, what evidence do we have that our assumptions that we're trying to test um, are actually valid um, or, or are we still just guessing uh, out there? You know, how can we be sure that uh, if we put this uh, new you know, feature into play that people are actually going to want it, for example, or that we can actually build it? Um, there's a lot of different ways and things you have to test at the exploration side um, that is the, the measurements different than if you have a, a well-oiled machine that you're trying to optimize. Right, right. And that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. But let me change gears here for, for a moment, being that we are the uh, Professionally Speaking podcast. Brian, can you tell us how impactful has communication been in your career, in your trajectory? Well, I'll, I'll first uh, I'll first say that my father was an English professor, so it's always been <laughs> <laughs> kind of uh, beat into me, uh, some of that kind of stuff. So so uh, communication has always been an important part of uh, my career road roadmap uh, and things along those lines. But I think especially when you are dealing with a lot of unknowns like you do in innovation, uh, having clear communication, understanding and having you know clear definitions of what success is and and that is important. Um, and I think being able to kind of tell a story at the earliest stages of, you know, here's the vision, here's the, uh, here's the idea and here's where I think the opportunity is and here's why uh, are, are crucially vital for any startup entrepreneur or anybody who's trying to get their idea off the ground. There's uh, tons of ideas out there that are, um, you know, that the person just wasn't a good enough storyteller to get enough uh, people behind them or rallied around them to to give them the the a little bit of time or a little bit of capital to to make it move forward. And so I think storytelling and and having a good communication uh, it, uh, output is important in the innovation space specifically. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And as you're speaking again, I'm thinking I've worked with. I don't know, maybe a dozen startups on their investment pitches, but I bet you you've seen your fair share. <laughs> a couple hundred. <laughs> yeah, a couple hundred. So uh, out of all, like we're, we'll span the memory bank now uh, of Brian. What yeah. is what is a pitch that maybe don't go into specifics, but an, a technique or something you saw that was very effective that is stuck with you during a pitch? Like, oh, that's pretty neat that they did that. Uh, yeah. A lot of the pitches, again, I, I invest typically really early stage, seed stage, or, or you know, when there's not a lot of numbers to necessarily say that uh, they're on the right track. So mm -hmm. I look for things like, have they identified a clear pain point? And can they tell me a real story and show me some you know examples of why that pain point exists, why it's not being solved today? You know, how often does it occur? Um, and give me a real vision for if this pain point was fixed what would that mean to the world? What would it mean to the company? And if that's the first stage, like if you can communicate what that core pain point is and why it's so big and painful, and if you solved it, why it would be so valuable to the world, that's, those are things that make me sit up and, and, uh, 
and take notice. I think a lot of folks have great ideas and they immediately jump to the solution. And so they spend a lot of their time talking and communicating about the features or the product or or what it's going to do. But that won't matter if nobody cares about it. Uh, If there's nobody saying, hey, I want to pay money to have this problem solved. And so really thinking about the audience and the audience of this for this uh, solution that you're having and really understanding the problem points are some of the earliest stage things that I look at. That's awesome. Did you find that many people fall into the trap of not demonstrating what the world will look like if it's a success type of thing? Uh, I mean, yes. I mean, a lot of, it'll be that, or you'll hear stories around, well, this will solve everybody's problem. And while that may be true in some very uh, (laughs) obscure cases, for the most part, there are some early adopters or people that are having the pain point uh, more often than than not. And those are the ones that if you're going to get any traction, you got to solve and and work with that group first. You know, I don't think there's any company that started out saying we're going to dominate the world in every category. You know, even like a Facebook, they started out. You know, we're solving problems in at Harvard, and then we're going to solve problems and and have this social media sure. in the Ivy League, and then we're going to go to colleges, and then we're going to move from there. And so there's this stepping stone of problems and and iteration that they went through to, you know, grow this thing. But I I doubt very seriously that the initial seed of an idea was we're going to have everybody on the planet, um, you know, on the social media platform. So, and I think that's true with most companies. You know, what their initial seed of the vision is. Um, is going to grow and morph based on what's happening in, out there in the market. Yeah, for sure. You have to be flexible and adapt, right? Um, yeah. But but tell us, did you always, it, it seems like you, like you said, you wear many hats and you clearly do a lot of different things. Did you always want to do that when you were a child or what, like what happened? Was it a progression? <laughs> what was your path like? Well, I, I've always been entrepreneurial. I think my first kind of real job business was I was selling my friend's pizza uh, in eighth grade. I would, uh, my mom would buy us, uh, me and my brother, she'd buy these frozen pizzas that we were supposed to take to lunch. You know, we, so we'd make a pizza in the morning and, and cut it up and, and take it to school. And then what I found is like those pizza pieces of pizza were pretty valuable to my friends. And so I started making more pizzas uh, in the morning. Like I cooked two or three up and then mom eventually figured out like you guys are, you know, growing boys, but you're eating a lot of pizza. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, uh, but I did learn the value of, uh, you know, finding a pain point, uh, solving the pain point and making money from that. And uh, so I've always had that, entrepreneurial edge. I think the other thing that has led me in this innovation path is this um, curiosity. Um, I spent a lot of time in Asia. Um, My first kind of real job um, after I got my MBA was uh, at Penn State. I I flew, I got a one-way ticket and flew to Hong Kong and and knocked on doors to get a job because I wanted to work in Asia and uh, got connected with Gartner Group as a consultant and helped build up the practice in Asia back in the mid-90s. And that experience uh, of having to constantly relearn or both from a cultural perspective of like where I was at and what I was doing and what worked and what didn't work, as well as new clients always feeding me with new problems, um, kept me in that, that, that constant hunger quest for, you know, how do we learn faster? How do we, um, you know, solve problems and how do we uh, move things forward? Amazing. Did you always know you wanted to go to Asia? Um, I know. So I went to Asia, a good friend who I've known since first grade, he had uh, been studying Chinese and he uh, just finished his studies and said, Hey, I'm going to be over here in China for uh, another couple of months. Do you want to come over and, and just hang around? I'll, you know, we'll go travel. And this was like early nineties. And I said, like, Oh, when am I going to have a chance to go over to China? So I flew over there and uh, we spent about a month 
just wandering through China and, and seeing sightseeing and such. And uh, I fell in love with Asia immediately. And, and uh, just, it was such a different world than America at the time. And uh, it was kind of opening up. And uh, so it, that was what got me excited. And so I came back and said, well, how am I going to get back over there? So then I went and got my MBA to focus on international marketing and that. And so then after that, I bought a ticket and tried it myself. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. So the, the culture over there got you. It yeah. sucked you in. Yeah. It's totally different than here. And I think that's probably true if you go to Europe or other places that you haven't been before and you know see different cultures, see different people, um, see different ways of work. And uh, it, it opens up your minds in a different way. Yeah, for sure. Right, we're uh, we're coming to the end here. Before yeah. we wrap up, we do have one one final question we ask all our guests. If you had a time machine and you could talk to the to the young Brian at maybe eighteen years of age, what advice would you give? What what advice did you you wish maybe you would have had, and that maybe yeah. today you would share with someone of that age of that mindset? I would say to my eighteen year old self, take risks earlier. Uh, I think it took a long time to figure out that it was okay to uh, kind of swing for the fences and to try things that you weren't that are not in your comfort zone. Um, and it's okay to experiment. Um, so I think that'd probably be the biggest advice is take bigger risks earlier in life. Wow. That's pretty profound. Because <laughs> sometimes you don't always see them. They're not always clear. It's not like for a risk, click here. You know what I mean? Exactly. Well, and it doesn't, doesn't mean you know good jump, uh, bungee jumping or something, you know, calculated risk, I suppose. But, um, but yes, be, be willing to at least experiment or try or, or do things uh, probably outside of your comfort zone and you'll probably be okay. Yeah. And is that, is that, is there a little bit of, I, I've heard, I, I mean, I shouldn't say I've heard, I, I read this once where they said that if you're younger and you take a risk and you go bust, it's not, it doesn't take you that much longer to rebuild type of thing. Is that exactly. exactly. Okay. Yeah. Now, nowadays I'm a little less risk taking. I've got a 15 year old and 10 year old and, you know, a nice career and uh, a nice life. So it's, it's harder for me to take those big, uh, you know, swings of, you know, starting a brand new company from scratch or something like that. But for sure. All right. Well, all you listeners out there who are uh, coming of age, you know, you should heed that advice and don't be afraid to swing for the fences. Brian, thank you so much for coming on today. I'll give you the last word. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we go? No, this was great. Thanks, Ryan, for having me on the show. Uh, if people are interested in the book, uh, they can go to Amazon or uh, I've got a, a book website set up at ardinger.com. Uh, I, I, you can also follow me on Twitter or LinkedIn. I always like following people and, and connecting to uh, interesting folks out there. So feel free to hit me up. For sure. And the book's Accelerated, available, you said, on Amazon? Excellent. Yep. Perfect. And yeah, get in touch with, with Brian. If you if you have a great idea and can contact him, I'm sure he'd be happy to chat. Absolutely. Always looking for great ideas. All right, my friend. So thanks so much for coming on today. And for the rest of you, we wish you success in your future endeavors.